0: This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the Collaborative Problem Solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hey there. Welcome to today's program. Um, These are your 45 minutes We may not go the full 45 minutes, we'll see. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, But this is your chance to kick back a little bit and think. Um, Kick back a little bit and not, at least for the next 45 minutes, be caught up in all the difficulties that challenging kids can cause in a household and at school, but to think about how to make things better. Think about who your kid is, why he's having the troubles he's having, why and in what situations those troubles seem to be especially problematic. Why those situations? Well, Because those are the situations that demand skills from your child that he or she is lacking. That's when we all look bad. When the demands being placed upon us exceed the skills that we have to respond adaptively to those demands. Why are challenging kids challenging more easily, more often, and ways that are more extreme than the rest of us? Because they're lacking the skills. To respond to those situations as well as many of us do. We're the lucky ones. So let's uh for the next forty five minutes remind ourselves this is not attention seeking, manipulative, coercive, limit testing, unmotivated. No, he's he's not pushing your buttons. He wished things were he wishes things were going better than they are too. So these are our 45 minutes to contemplate that, think about it. Good that you put these 45 minutes aside. Whether you're listening live to the program or listening to the recorded version, it's important to put some time aside to maintain perspective and think about what's going on with your challenging kid and what maybe you could be doing differently to make things better. If you want to call in, that number is 347-994-2981. 347-994-2981. One of the things I wanted to talk about today, something that uh, you should feel free to call in about, by the way, I'd like to hear some other ideas besides mine on this, is... um, How do you tell the world about your kid? How have you been letting the world know, people around you, if you have been, how your kid is a little different and why sometimes he responds to problems in a way that many would consider to be over the top? What have you been saying to people? What have you been saying to the grandparents? To the coaches? Oh, you, or have you been hoping, have you been putting your hopes on luck? Luck that your kid will see his way through, navigate his way through the challenges of the world without the world knowing anything about why he's having difficulties in the first place? Yes, I forgot to turn my cell phone off yet again. But it is off now. You'd think that would be something I'd be able to remember, but I don't. Maybe that's a lagging skill on my part. You don't want to rely on luck. You may not even want to rely on luck if your challenging kid is one of those challenging kids who doesn't look challenging anywhere else except inside your household with you. Folks who are in that situation, and there's a lot of folks in that situation, can sometimes get by on luck because their kid is keeping himself very tightly wrapped outside the home. It's not that he's exhibiting skills outside the home that he's not exhibiting inside the home. It's that he's keeping himself very tightly wrapped. Of course, most of us look better outside the home than we do in it. He's keeping himself very tightly wrapped outside the home. Otherwise, he would embarrass himself. If he's in the home, it's not so embarrassing. He's been doing this for a long time. Uh, you might be one of those folks, in which case you may be in a better position to rely on luck than those folks whose kids are challenging outside the home, too. But that's what I want to hear from you about today. Um what are you telling people about your challenging kid so they understand why he's challenging? There's a few directions you could turn in there, but let me hear that number again. 347-994-2981. As you know, callers take precedent on this program. Callers take priority. That's what I wanted to talk a little bit about today. Now... We do have two callers already I'm going to get to in just a second. Some folks lead with a diagnosis. My child is autistic. My child has Asperger's disorder. My child has ADHD. Some folks don't lead with anything. They just get out of dodge as quickly as they can if their kid is acting up. What do you lead with? How are you letting the world know, given that we're all different, how your kid is different? Now, I don't know if that's what our callers are calling about today. We are about to find out. Uh, Our first caller is now on the air. How are you today? Hello?
1: Yeah, you're up. Hi. Hi, I have several questions. I have a list of unsolved problems about 40 deep. So um, That's quite a list. Yeah, it is quite a list, and each day I add to it as things come up. But, okay, I have three big questions, and I know that you won't be able to get to all of them, so you tell me which one you want to talk about, okay? My questions are issues with therapy, how important is it, and how can I get them to go? Um, The second one is we did collaborative problem solving on a, a problem. I crossed the list, and it seems to have come up again, and it's like back on the list. It, it didn't last very long, our solution. And the third issue is my husband's role in all of this. And he, he's not completely on board, and how do I deal with that? Um,
0: boy, I'm, I'm going to have trouble picking those are three great questions. <laughs> They're I good ones, gonna, right?
1: <laughs> I think
0: that if our uh, lineup of callers doesn't get too deep, we're going to try to answer all three.
1: Okay, great. And, and
0: if our second caller will remain patient, let's, let's see if we can get through all three. What kind of therapy are you talking about for your son? Son, I think you mentioned?
1: His, uh, yes, son. He's 11 years old. 11. 11. Um, and he's, you know, all, all the things you, you talk about in your book, I mean, it's like right on. Um, and I, anytime I try to get him to go to therapy, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, anything, he puts up such a fuss, he refuses to go. It's a complete, a complete plan A situation. I cannot... I I can't collaboratively problem solve it because if I say why, you know why, I try to do the empathy step. He just says, "I'm not going. I'm not going." With such fervor. And any time he has gone, I have had to take him kicking, literally kicking and screaming, because you know it seemed to me it was an issue that I needed to force. I needed to make it. I needed to force him to do it. I couldn't just plan see it. And what would end up happening is that he would be non-communicative with the therapist, and we ended up going backwards. Like, he would be in, in a state for days after. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, so I just, I, I put it in Plan C. That's where it is. Let me because ask you. I don't you. know. Go ahead. I'm, I just don't know how important therapy is in this process. I mean, I, I do my best, but I'm a no therapist. So, you know, do what I What kind this of therapy issue?
0: have you been trying to get him involved in? Is this individual um, ther- therapy individual. or family therapy? Individual. Got just it. him, I mean, I'm, I was there
1: in the room. It, would, it usually will go well the first couple times, and then as soon as the therapist tries to actually get him to do anything, he would just shut down. Yep. You know, to actually confront him and say, look, you know, like, I guess show him that he might have a role in the situation, he would just shut down. And so now, even just the mere mention of it, every couple months, I say, you know, we're to just start thinking about, about talking to someone again. And he just said, I'm not going, just completely shut it down. So then I just, I just plan to see it for another couple months. Is that the right thing to do?
0: Well, um, you know, here's what I'll say about that. I think that there are some kids who need individual therapy to talk about issues. Um, But collaborative problem solving is not an individual therapy model. It's a family therapy model because, well, you can't do collaborative problem solving. You can't help a parent and a child do collaborative problem solving unless they're both involved in the process. And so my big question always is, number one, given the the vast majority of therapy that I do is family therapy. I do almost zero individual therapy because the vast majority of what I'm doing is helping parents and kids solve problems together, and that together part requires the involvement of both players, parent and child. And so um, the, the big question for me would be, what is it that we hope would be gained by individual therapy. And that there's lots of possibilities there, but I'd want to make sure that I had something in mind that was to be gained by individual therapy. And then I guess the other question is this. You know, when it, when it becomes individual therapy, and this is why I think a majority, not certainly not every single kid who participates in collaborative problem solving, but I, I would say a very high percentage of them A lot of kids aren't exactly ecstatic to come into therapy, but they're a little bit more receptive to the idea when they don't feel like they're the identified patient and when they don't feel like the therapy is exclusively for them. And and collaborative problem-solving has some advantages there because the identified patient in collaborative problem-solving is the family, not the kid, the family. Um, And the family is the one that has the problem, not the kid, And so it's a a blameless form of treatment, because it's nobody's fault. We just have some problems we've got to solve together. And kids, especially if they're meeting with me for the first time, and and perhaps people who I've trained as well, the first question I'm asking a kid when he comes into my office is um, why his parents made him come and what it is that they're getting into it over, and those are things that kids are actually usually happy to talk about, not every one of them, but most. And I'm making it very clear right from the get-go, this is not about the kid. It's about the family. It's as much about the parents as it is about the kid, because they're all having trouble solving problems together. And I find that while that doesn't necessarily have kids you know, dying to get in the door for their you know, four o'clock appointment, I can't wait to do collaborative problem solving today, that's can't say that's usually the case. I find that kids are more receptive to continuing to participate when they know that they're not the identified patient, but also when they know that this isn't sort of some open-ended, we'll see how long this lasts thing. Collaborative problem-solving lasts until people are able to solve problems together on their own without the help of the clinician, and then collaborative problem-solving ends. So I think that the fact that this isn't so open-ended uh, helps kids as well. So the big question for you is, what, what is it that you are hoping individual therapy would do above and beyond what collaborative problem-solving would do? That's the big question.
1: Well, I guess I just feel like I need help from a professional. Like, I feel like I, I can't do all this on my own.
0: So the big question is whether what you need is individual therapy for your son, which he is basically letting you know he's refusing to participate in, or whether he might be more receptive if the whole approach to therapy was changed so that it was family therapy, and you letting him know that you know you have as much stuff to work on as he does, and can we give that a try? And now he's not the identified patient anymore, and now, and I'm shooting for a mutually satisfactory solution here, now maybe you're getting the type of help that you feel like you really need when you say that you're not feeling like you can do it all by yourself.
1: So you think we should go to therapy sort of with the attitude of, we're going to solve this unsolved problem, and this person is going to help us?
0: Well, is that that in my
1: mind, is that That's how, how, how I approach things?
0: I, I will say, not knowing enough about your situation... And in a program like this, not being in a great position to gather those kinds of details, um, it's hard for me to say, here's what kind of therapy you need. What I'm mostly telling you is the type of therapy that I do and why a lot of kids, especially some kids who are not very receptive to the idea of individual therapy, are receptive to the idea of solving problems together as a family, then they're not the identified patient anymore. Quite frankly, Um, If you've got a stack of unsolved problems that's 40 deep, Um, I'm not exactly sure how an individual therapist is going to help you with that anyways because unsolved problems require two people to solve. Individual therapy has only one person. Um, That's my usual rationale for why sometimes family therapy, when you've got a stack of unsolved problems 40 deep, Uh, might be a better way to go. But I can't give you explicit advice about that just because I don't know your situation well enough to guide you in a more specific way.
1: I see. Okay. Well, family therapy is just me more involved. Is that what you mean by family therapy?
0: Family therapy... I'm there too. Well, family therapy usually means let's work on our family and collaborative problem solving, which is pretty much a family therapy orientation, is saying "Let's let's make our family function better by working collaboratively on the unsolved problems that are causing our family to get into all these fights with each other. That's what I would call family therapy with a strong collaborative problem-solving orientation. And that's what I mostly do. Because I find that when we're doing individual therapy, and once again, I'm not dismissing individual therapy for, for many things, but if what we're working on is unsolved problems, they aren't going to get solved between the individual therapist and the kid because unsolved problems pretty much by definition require two parties, you and your son. Um, To solve them, it's going to require you and your son, in which case the main role of the therapist who's doing collaborative problem solving is to facilitate plan B so that you and your son can get through that pile of unsolved problems and start getting along better together because you're fighting about the unsolved problems a lot less.
1: Okay. I mean, I could try that. He's going to say, why do my brothers have to go if it's family?
0: And you why is it just me? Quite frankly, there's different forms of family therapy, and in some forms of family therapy, um, the whole family is involved. Sometimes that's not a bad strategy either, but um, some, that's the direction that I tend to steer things in when we have parent-kid conflict. Um, my usual approach to that is not individual therapy, but rather problem-solving therapy of the collaborative kind.
1: I see. Okay.
0: But what remind me of your other two, and we we may not have time to answer both, but let's see.
1: Okay. Um, we we did collaborative problem solving on a, on a problem, yes, and right. it, it 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 came back like it worked for a couple of days. And then it came back, which I guess it wasn't actually solved, obviously. And then the other thing is my husband's role in all of this, and he's not completely on board with it.
0: Got it. Well, you know what? I'm dying to answer both, so we're going to answer both. We have one caller who I hope will remain patient. Um, If a solution lasts two days or two weeks or two months but then is no longer working, that's generally a sign that the solution wasn't as realistic or mutually satisfactory as it originally seemed here's what here's what realistic means both parties can actually do what they're agreeing to do they can actually do it reliably mutually satisfactory means that the solution actually and logically addresses the concerns of both parties that have been explicitly uncovered and identified In the first two ingredients of Plan B, we're identifying the kid's concern or perspective in the empathy step, and we're identifying the adult's concern or perspective on the same unsolved problem in the define the problem step. What I encourage people to do, um, sometimes I'm a little surprised at how often, and maybe this is my fault because I didn't explain it well, I'm surprised at how often sometimes people sign off on solutions that they are pretty sure aren't going to work in the first place. Um, what I'm always encouraging people to do is think about what are the odds of this solution working, the solution that's, that you're about to run with. Think, what, what are the odds of this one working? And what this means is that before we sign off on a solution, we're actually giving conscious thought to the likelihood that it will actually last a while. If we're putting the odds at below 60 to 70 percent, and that's that's arbitrarily chosen, but if we're thinking the odds are not great, like below 60 to 70 percent that a solution is going to work, in other words, that it's going to be realistic and mutually satisfactory, that both parties can do what they're agreeing to, I'm always encouraging people to go back to the solution in the same discussion. Think about what is it about this solution that is giving me pause? What is it about this solution that I'm thinking? Isn't as realistic and mutually satisfactory to hit the 60 to 70 percent threshold. And you want to use that information to fine tune the solution, to modify the solution, so that it's moving more closely into the 60 to 70 percent, yeah, I think this will fly range. So the thing to do with a solution that only lasts two days, whether it's two days, two weeks, or two months, it just says that um, that solution either wasn't as realistic and mutually satisfactory as we thought it was, or we didn't do our probability estimate and therefore signed off on a solution that we were pretty sure wasn't going to work in the first place, or um, there were concerns that were, went unidentified that we didn't uncover in either the empathy step and or the define the problem step and it's those cons- because we didn't uncover them, those concerns never got addressed by our solution. And so while our solution did address the concerns that we did uncover in those first two ingredients of Plan B, it didn't address the concerns that we've discovered never came up. So now we have to come up with a solution that addresses those as well. That's what you're doing with a solution, that whether, whether a solution doesn't stand the test of time for two days, two weeks, or two months, back to Plan B to figure out why. Your third question was about any any questions about that? Oops, I think I lost our caller, but I think she just called back. Hello? You're back again, yes? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay.
1: So I should just do the problem solving again. Just
0: start over back and say clarity. what are your issues and okay. That's right. Go back to I the mean, up- I, step well I think what you want to do is think about um, how come that solution didn't work. Let's go back to plan B to figure out why. Uh, maybe... I mean, I
1: can't imagine why it didn't work because, Let's hear if anything, it wasn't mutually satisfactory on my end. Okay, it's, it's a combined issue of staying up too late and watching too much television. And he stays up late watching
0: television. What was the solution? Together.
1: The solution was he would, turn, he would come upstairs sometime between 10 and 10.30. And he would limit his teeth, which, which was late for me. I already feel like that's but I was going to give in to that. I was allowing that, even yeah. though it's like an hour later than I prefer. And then I agreed to two and a half hours of television, which is way more than I'm comfortable with.
0: So but already you're know. telling me that the solution wasn't mutually satisfactory for you. Right, on my end. But I was, I held my end of it.
1: You know what I mean? It's like even that he couldn't keep to. He came up. with
0: Well, here's, here's what that's telling me. It's telling me that just because you're going overboard to make sure that he's okay with the solution by, sacrificing, by not being terribly happy with the solution yourself, that alone isn't making this solution doable for your son. So here's my question. This is the question I'm always asking people. If we were to rewind the tape, before you agree on this solution... Give me some odds on your son actually doing what you agreed to. I mean, if we have the benefit of hindsight now, but let's pretend, let's pretend we didn't. Let's say this is three days ago or, or how long ago it was. Before you're signing off on the solution, tell me, what are the odds that you think your son is actually going to be able to follow through on it?
1: I would have thought it would be pretty good because yes. I was being generous.
0: Well, you're thinking that it's pretty good because... I'm hoping you're not thinking that the odds are pretty good because you were being generous. Let's take your generosity out of the mix, yes? Okay, okay. Um,
1: Well, I mean, watching television is sort of... It's hard to walk away from it.
0: It do not have
1: to, I think, for a kid.
0: So I, I guess in
1: that sense it's going to be hard no matter what the solution is because at some point he has to turn it off and walk away. And he doesn't want me to say, turn it off now. He wants me to give him the freedom and the independence to do it on his own. Yep. Which I to give him. But if he's not holding his end of the deal, then it's hard for me to do that.
0: Well, here's my worry. I'm going to rewind the tape even further, believe it or not. What is getting in the way of him turning off the TV set at the prescribed time. What, what do we understand about that? And what I'm going back to here is the empathy step of Plan B. What, what it, what's oh, hard for him about that? I
1: think what he, what he likes about the television, why he wants to keep watching so much television, is because he feels like it's a place for him to just veg out and he doesn't have to
0: think about anything. Okay, so my question, though, is what's hard for him about getting off the television? I understand why it's pleasurable. Why, why is it hard for him to turn it off? Because here's the deal, if we're not addressing whatever's hard, if the only reason that we're hoping that he will follow through on our solution is because um, we are giving so much, then whatever's getting in his way will remain unaddressed, and my attitude is, count me out on that solution. So. Often solutions don't stand the test of time and, and, quite frankly, were doomed from the start because the solution actually didn't address what was getting in the kid's way in the first place. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I never asked him why it's hard to turn off the TV. I've
0: never I, I think, that. given that he seems to be having trouble turning off the TV, that seems like a concern we would want to get addressed. Um, in our solution and once again this is this is a learning curve here so by no means am i being critical about how you did plan b but what i'm always doing with folks is saying okay let's figure out how we're gonna come up with a solution that's better i personally think that if we don't know why it's so hard for him to turn the tv off then we're not going to be able to come up with a solution that makes it possible for him to turn the tv off i don't want to rely on you being generous as the reason I don't want to rely on you being generous as the factor that's going to help him overcome whatever difficulty is related to him turning off the TV. I don't think it's going to work. And, in fact, it didn't. Now, I have the benefit of hindsight as well. But generosity in the service of Plan B isn't going to address whatever is getting in his way. Okay. Make sense? Uh, Yeah, completely. And and as I'm doing with most folks, I'm sending them back to Plan B and saying, let's see – um, let's see if we gather more information in the empathy step if, if we can have a concern that addresses um, th- that we can address with our solution I don't think generosity is going to do it I think a solution that's truly mutually satisfactory and truly addresses the concerns that we've really clarified in those first two steps of plan B I think that's the way we're going to get the job done and it's really hard but I think that you've given it a, an outstanding start. And I think, given that we only have about 17 minutes left in the program, I'm going to answer your third question really quickly. Okay. Is your husband undermining the process?
1: He, he can be at times, although right now we're in a period where he says, I won't hinder it, but I'm not completely on board. I okay. don't have the patience to do that whole plan B. But and he won't. Plan A something that I've decided to plan B or plan C.
0: Yep. And you're convincing me that well, – truth is, if, if, uh, if sometimes it's not possible to get both parents on board. And as long as the other parent isn't undermining the whole effort, then um, sometimes it'll still go okay. But there's also something to be said for – having some discussions with your husband, and perhaps this is a place where a good, this is, this is something that an individual therapist wouldn't be able to help you with either, but a family therapist would. Somebody perhaps helping you and your husband if this is something you can't do on your own, and that's, you know, you never know about that. Maybe these are discussions you can have with your husband. But discussions about how plan A hasn't worked very well, how... Um, the collaborative problem-solving approach helps us view a child through completely different lenses. How those lenses make a great deal of sense to you at this point? Um, those are discussions worth having, um, with or without the help of a uh, qualified mental health professional who who can help you out with that. Um, and I'm giving short shrift to that question just because we have some other callers. Um, but I feel free to call in any time and give us an update on how things are going.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
0: Um, I'd love to hear how the turning off the TV unsolved problem is going. Once you go back to the empathy step, get some more information about what's getting in your son's way and come up with a solution that truly addresses what's getting in his way. I'm, I'm delighted for you to call back and give us an update.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
0: You bet. Thanks for calling. Um, I'm going to go to uh, our second caller. Um, you're on the air. Hello? Hello?
1: Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for you for calling
0: Can you hear me in? okay? Say okay.
1: again? I said, can you hear me okay? Very well. Okay. My husband and I are parenting our second challenging child. She's a 16-year-old daughter. And we have very different child rearing philosophies. Um, he leans to plan A since it works so well for him and I try very hard to use plan B. Um, I wasn't party to your um, you know, just this past caller. Um, but it sounds like it's a it's a timely call. So to say the least, it results in some interesting discussions that the two of us have. Um, Science, in particular, biology, has been a chronic problem for our daughter, and through lots of drilling, I think we pretty much understand what was getting in the way. Um, She's been behind in work, but over the past month or so, she's, um, starting to make it up. she She's down to owing for uh, science, one test, one lab, and a midterm. Our daughter wanted to go away with a friend and her family over the spring break. We, her parents, were not very enthusiastic about the idea for a variety of different reasons. But we, the three of us, worked it out Um, with a plan for biology so as to divide the subject into manageable topics and chunk away at it so that she could take the midterm before the break. I was supposed to plan with her tutor so she could achieve her goal. My husband says he checked in with her on a weekly basis to monitor her progress I was paying attention to the work she's been making up. Um, She was behind in, in all four of her subjects, but not so carefully to the midterm piece. Also, the tutor's been out of town more frequently, but my daughter seemed to be doing a good job of meeting with her biology teacher and knocking off assignments and tests. So fast forward to this past Sunday afternoon. My daughter... And I had just finished with what I thought to be a productive Plan B chat.
0: And um,
1: as I'm on my way out to do something fun with her, I mentioned to my better half what we had discussed. He wants to know what progress has been made towards achieving the goal of completing the midterm. A very fun. Misunderstanding ensues. My husband melts down, interrogates my daughter because, quote, nice and work, unquote. And so we have people behaving badly. Um, Now, he starts, he just starts interrogating her um, because he he feels that it's his parental duty to, quote, push her buttons, unquote, um, to get her going. I'm, I can't stand to, you know, sit back and, and watch this grilling and um, offer my own two cents. He feels as if I'm undercutting him. Um, And so, you know, I just, I don't think school is ever a good reason to hurt someone's feelings and cause upset. So if we rewind the tape as you encourage us to do, I think part of the downfall of the original plan was that both parents did not specifically and consistently check in with our daughter to make sure that she was chipping away at the material and completed the midterm before she left. My lack of planning with the tutor ahead of time was also a uh, key ingredient. But you have kids, and you know how it is. The child has other subjects, you have other commitments, and life's busy but we would really appreciate any advice to avoid another upset in the future.
0: Well, here's, the, um, here's what I'm uh, gleaning from the story. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you uh, did Plan B with your daughter and came up with a certain solution. If I'm, if I'm understanding the, st- the story right, you mm-hmm. did Plan B with your daughter and came up with a certain solution. Your husband didn't wasn't on board with a solution and became quite enraged that he that a solution had been agreed to that he wasn't on board with. Do I have that right? Um, if I can just say it back to you
1: his I think his concern was there was an original plan. And sh- we had not stuck to it, and 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 we weren't doing
0: anything
1: to achieve
0: the plan. The original plan. Yeah. So, in your plan B that you did with your daughter, did you modify the original plan? Um,
1: I didn't think I did, but.
0: Hearing, like, I, guess, I guess that I'm a little bit unclear about it sounds like if I'm hearing it right your husband thought that the original plan should be stuck to there was something about what you and your daughter agreed to that he wasn't good with and it sounds like he became quite angry about that mm-hmm. which le- leads me to wonder um, apparently on certain topics you know um, whether it's feasible for you and your husband to do plan B together with your daughter every time, um, probably not feasible. On the other hand, um, yes, it sounds like from from your telling of the story, there wasn't the best possible follow through on the original solution, Right. which is sometimes a sign that the original solution isn't working very well. Um, and in which case maybe the solution did need to be modified. But apparently, the way things were going was not okay with your husband, and he had a different plan in mind for the way things should go. So that basically suggests to me two things, to tell you the truth. Number one, if a solution isn't going well, that might be given how um, enraged your husband seems to have become about having been uninvolved in these subsequent discussions it seems like that's something that would be worth you and him checking in on um, if if the stakes are if your husband is um, deeply invested in the original solution and something about the new solution is going to rub him wrong, especially on certain topics, probably worth checking in with him and this is something of course parents do um, if you're on your second challenging kid, then you, you know that checking in about how solutions are going is an important thing to be doing not only between adult and child with whom the solution was agreed to, but also between the adults who may have strong points of view on what makes for a realistic and mutually satisfactory solution. And so it sounds like your husband may have been surprised. Number, I'm not sure what he was surprised about, but it sounds like he may have been surprised, number one, that the solution had been revisited. And number two, unhappy that the subsequent modification of the solution was one that either he hadn't been consulted on or two, that he wasn't okay with in the first place. And so um, I don't know if that speaks to poor, as you're saying, poor follow-up on the solution between you and your daughter or perhaps a need for improved communication between you and your husband on the unsolved problems that have been worked on and the solutions that are in play but that we're not um, we're not convinced are durable yet and for that conversation to be along the lines of well here's here's the unsolved problem here's the solution we've agreed on Um, I'm going to revisit that with our daughter because I'm not sure that that solution is working very well is that a discussion you'd like to participate in and if so when can we do it and if not uh, is there any point of view that you want me to bear in mind as it relates to your concerns and solutions that you're thinking about that I should make sure that I incorporate into the discussion if I'm hearing the situation correctly.
1: Well, I think you did, and um, I think that's,
0: that's very helpful
1: advice.
0: Well, now, that's the whole point of this program. <laughs>
1: my,
0: my goal is not to dispense unhelpful advice, although... Sometimes it happens. So I appreciate your calling in, and I'm glad that you found the advice to be helpful. Thank you. Well, um, two great calls today and great questions. Um, You can see this Plan B business can get a little complicated, but basically this is people solving problems together. And as we heard from our first caller, individual therapy is unlikely to get that job done because it takes two to tango. Individual therapy, only one of the two parties, often the most vulnerable of the two that it takes to tango, is the one who's involved in treatment, and that's not, uh, that's not um, collaborative problem-solving. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have both parties involved. As we heard from our first mom, uh, there are situations in which so long as the second parent is not interfering is neutral, a benign force, uh, then one parent doing collaborative problem solving can actually fly. But as we heard from caller number two, our second mom, if uh, the second parent is not a neutral force, if the second parent is, um, has strong ideas about how this should go and what solutions should be, uh, now uh, there's no escaping working together and communicating well, especially, about the unsolved problems that we've been working on, the solutions that are in play, and whether there's a need to go back and revisit some of those solutions because one of them or more isn't panning out so well. Um, Well, you know what, that's going to do it for us today. We didn't get to the original topic for the program, which was, what are you telling people about your challenging kid and why he's different? and why sometimes he looks a little bit different. But you know what? Maybe we'll get some callers on that in our next program. But as I always say, callers take priority, and um, I thought this was a very interesting program. So thanks to our callers for calling in. Thanks to our listeners for listening in. Uh, If you have a question in between now and the next program, go to the Lives in the Balance website, click on the contact form, send me your question, and I'll try to answer it on the next program.